May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. On this Palm Sunday, as we enter another socially distanced Holy Week, like last year, our liturgy is different today than it would normally be. We don't have the opportunity to recreate the scene of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover week with palms and shouts of Hosanna, as we usually would. But despite the grandeur of Palm Sunday that we are missing, I've always found that our liturgy on this day is disjointed, bordering on incoherent. If you remember, we would normally begin the service with the blessing of palms, and we would read about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and then we would process around the church while singing all glory, laud, and honor. And then, well, this is where the problem comes in, then we would skip ahead in the gospel to the events of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and we would completely ignore what Jesus did in Jerusalem on the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of that Passover week. But the truth is you can't understand what happened to Jesus on Good Friday unless you know what Jesus was doing and saying on the preceding Monday. So I've taken some COVID liberties this year to rearrange the service a bit and and fill in some of those gaps. And I've chosen to give this homily today before you experience the Passion reading so that you will enter that history with some understanding, with some expectation of what you're listening to. Now, I used to think that it was pointless to preach anything on Palm Sunday. I mean, what could I possibly say that will explain what is about to happen? I used to believe that each of us must work out what we think of this nightmare of terror and violence on our own. But I came to realize that the reason that this story seemed so incomprehensible is that we were telling it selectively. We weren't telling it right. For too long, the church has left out the why. Why was Jesus killed? Why did the people who killed him want him dead? And into that vacuum, human imagination and church theologians have come up with all sorts of reasons about why Jesus had to die. We have even gone so far as to forget, or at least to gloss over, who did the crucifying. It may have been Roman soldiers acting on the order of the Roman governor, but somehow we think, God, God must have needed Jesus to die. God must have wanted Jesus to die. That Jesus' death was somehow necessary as a way to reconcile us to God, just as the Passover lamb appeased God and protected the Jewish people when the angel of death passed over Egypt. But friends, I want to say very clearly today that this is not so, that God did not need or want for this to happen. To believe that God needed Jesus to die in order to forgive us 
is a grave insult to God's love. And if you try to believe that long enough, if you try to believe that God needed, required Jesus to die, I think you will stop believing in God altogether. Because why bother believing in a God that has no moral, no more moral sense than you or I do? As you contemplate the story that we're about to hear, never again forget who killed Jesus. The Roman soldiers drove in the nails on Pilate's order. It was the power of Rome, the power of empire, the powers of this world who abhorred Jesus' message and wanted him silenced. So let's fill in some of those missing pieces that I was talking about. First of all, Jesus' so-called triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Although the crowds shouted Hosanna to greet him, it's perfectly obvious, if you pay attention, that Jesus' procession was really anything but triumphant. He chose to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and a baby donkey at that. The scripture is very clear about this, heralded by peasants with cloaks and palm branches. Compare that baby donkey to the bronze shields and the war horses of Rome. You see, on the same day as Jesus' procession on the other side of town, a legion of Roman soldiers was marching into the city in a show of force in order to keep the peace during the Jewish Passover festival. This was the largest festival of the year. Hundreds of thousands of Jews were gathering in Jerusalem, and Rome was sending its soldiers to make sure they stayed in line. Pilate, the Roman governor, made sure to demonstrate Roman might at all of these Jewish festivals to remind those peasants who was in charge and to make sure that the taxes kept flowing from the peasants through the temple into the imperial coffers. Jesus' procession into town on a little donkey on the other side of town is anti-triumphal. It is a political demonstration calling into question the brutality with which Rome ruled the peasant class and kept Israel impoverished. It's, it's the peace donkey versus the war horse. And it is an invitation for us to consider which of those processions do we want to be marching in today? So what does Jesus do then between that Palm Sunday, the day of that peace demonstration, and Thursday, Monday, Thursday, the beginning of Passover? First, he goes to the temple and he teaches the crowds gathered in the temple for the festival. And some would say he stirs up the crowds with talk of insurrection. Jesus takes over the temple courtyard because it's the center of the action during that Passover week. All the Jewish peasants streaming into town would have ended up there at some point. Jesus goes in and turns over the tables and takes over the courtyard and begins to teach. And Jesus has an indictment to make against the Jewish elite who ruled the temple, against the chief priests and the scribes. He accuses them of abusing their power and position and of collaborating with Rome against the welfare of the common people. On Monday, 
Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers who support the temple economy. He tells thinly veiled parables about the religious leaders, which cast them in a very bad light. By the time Wednesday arrives, Jesus is denouncing them openly. Beware of the scribes, he says, who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. They devour widows' houses. They impoverish those who already are poor. That is Jesus' accusation against them. He spends this week indicting the Jewish leaders as corrupt and the Roman king, the Caesar, as illegitimate. Is it any wonder, then, that both the Jewish and the Roman authorities wanted Jesus dead? Nailing him to a cross was supposed to be the final solution. Get rid of that rabble-rouser, silence him, and his message would die with him. Crucifixion was the world's way of saying no to everything that Jesus stood for. But friends, what do we say to Jesus' message, to everything that he was teaching during that week? And what does God say? That's the question that we face as we enter this Holy Week. I invite you to come into this sacred time with an open heart, to open your ears and hear God's message of world-transforming peace, peace which can transcend and overcome all of the violence and injustice that this world can melt. Amen.